Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with the, my good old friend and compatriot for many, many years, Duncan Crowley, who is an Irish architect, um, and he's now living in Portugal, ha- having moved a number of places uh, in the last uh, many years since we first met in Dublin. Um, and one of the things I'm real... Um, happy to talk with you about today, Duncan, is some of your perspectives on connecting up folks um, locally for different community projects and how that all fits into sort of this larger picture of regenerative community or communities working towards regenerative change. Um, So let's dig in there. You like, we met in Dublin, then you moved to Barcelona. After that, you ended up in Curitiba in Brazil which, uh, you know, from a sustainable architecture uh, perspective, it's kind of an icon, or at least has been an icon for many years of, of how to do a city better. And then more recently, you've moved back to Europe, uh, to Portugal, where you're working now. So welcome to Designers of Paradise. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, really nice to reconnect after, after these few years. So uh, looking forward to, to developing this and hopefully moving forward all these different uh, projects with different communities and connecting the network at the different scales and between the different areas, areas of diversity as well. So I'd, I'd like to just like, for the listeners, I'd just like to give a little sense of kind of your journey so far. Um, maybe starting with whether you just chose architecture as a focus because of your interest in, in kind of urban design and, and community work, or whether it went the other direction, like as an architect, you, you, you kind of woke up or, or became sensitized to the issues happening in the community, and that's why you chose to focus this way. Um, well, I suppose, going back a long time now, it was 95 when I started in architecture, uh, and that was, at that stage, maybe a small bit, the idea, the, the social side of things, but it was more just uh, an interest in kind of, you know, what am I trying to do in college, and I was interested in art and mathematics, uh, and architecture seemed to be a, a good choice. So that was kind of a lot of the advice I was getting. But then I got into it. I started the university uh, and really got into it and really enjoyed it. But then I suppose went through a shift of sorts um, about 96, where that really started opening up and getting involved with local projects on the ground in, in Dublin and in Ireland on, on different levels in sustainable action, uh, peace work, uh, and related social issues. And then I found that as, as I got further into it, that architecture could be... Um, part of these solutions but at that time anyway that the architecture world wasn't really thinking about these issues in Dublin uh, in Ireland anyway that it was still kind of this thing that architecture was very much um, almost like fashion this kind of you know it's all about the visual what it looks like and photographs and magazines and there wasn't so much a culture of uh, really trying to dig into what what problems exist and what more importantly what solutions might exist so that's where I kind of went on a big diversion from the main the main road I was on. I still feel that all the work I was doing was architectural. It just maybe wasn't seen as being uh, architectural by the rest of the community. 
And did you, at that time, did you get a lot of pushback from your architectural colleagues? Uh, there was, well, at that time it was just, you know, it was get your projects done and do what has to be done to, to get through. And that was really it. And if you're doing other stuff, well and good, but there wasn't really any support. It was a lot of kind of, what's, you know, this guy, he's gone off about making gardens and connecting with communities and getting on bikes. And that's an architecture. Architecture is the little box that looks nice. So at the end, unfortunately, to, you know, to pass, I had to make the little box and, you know, I passed and did all that was required of me. But at the same time, I felt that it was, it was uh, interesting or for my own uh, journey, I suppose, that it was necessary to go down the road. I did go down. So, uh, so I continued down that road and not just in a theoretical sense, but in a real world sense. So that's why, you know, finishing up that, that the last proposal was like, an, rather than just one little building, was an 18 kilometer long um, orbital route in the city connecting the, with the water, the water routes to Dublin, uh, community gardens. And that's around the time when we first met, uh, when we like actually took land on Dolphin's Barn and we made a little community garden there, we was doing bike rides with communities and, and just trying to connect up different communities as well as the city and use these kind of social tools as understanding the city a bit more uh, and create a, 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 I suppose, a social and interesting uh, and enjoyable process to, 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 to try to bring about change. So it wasn't just about meetings and people talking about stuff. It was really about doing stuff together and learning from that process. I guess for the, for the, for the kind of like non, the non-architectural mind, you know, so we are going to assume like most people are not architects. Um, it may come as a surprise that architecture interfaces uh, at all, even now, with larger concepts like urban design, for instance, or city planning, um, which, which are implied by, by that work around community, although there's a lot more to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, even, even those kind of minimal crossovers might come as a surprise to folks. Yeah, well, it's, I suppose a lot of, in Ireland, and I suppose, communities all around the world there's a similar attitude the architects you know they just charge crazy prices for just making a little house look a bit different and that's about it that's kind of the a perception of what it's there as whereas i think that what really the the kind of common theme between these different areas is uh having 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 trained in in, <clears throat> in developing skills to understand problems to question problems understand the different complex factors involved and try to create solutions and there can be an infinite amount of solutions and you know part of that can be beautiful and visually aesthetic and stuff like that It'll be about making things work for people and communities and that's what i still firmly believe that's like where buckminster fuller's quotes come in right yeah. i remember that one of his quotes being uh when i start a design i never think about beauty but when i'm finished if it's not beautiful i know i've done something wrong <laughs> yeah 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 no he was he was a an amazing person um but like even in my time there was very little discussion about him and his ideas you know like i yeah. I, I came to him and his thinking kind of gone off in this curve that i that i ended up on um and thankfully i did come across his ideas and, and many more like him who 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 had that desire to 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 bring about change you know a, a change that makes sense at all levels and so then in, in, a, in a, a somewhat familiar uh, Irish kind of tradition, you legged it for Barcelona at some point. Yeah, well, and I, I say somewhat familiar, you know, in that there, are, you know, that the, there was uh, an Irish connection even during the time of the, you know, the, the, the fascism there with, you know, um, people writing about what was going on and, and people, you know, showing up in terms of community support and that sort yeah. of thing. So that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, as, as people from our little corners of the world, there's, there's, there's many Irish and we're all been for a long time now having to leave, like my own family from West Clare in Ireland, you know, a strong tradition of having to leave after the famine, you know, where two million people died and the rest were on boats and the ones that survived got to the States and other communities or to England. And, and from that, you know, just 150 years of a stream out until really the 1990s, you know, when for the first time people started coming back to Ireland. So, um, so yeah, there's a long tradition of that uh, with, with Spain and the, the connections. Yeah, like the, that time when you mentioned fascism and Franco, like back in the 30s, I think the Irish, well, at the time of the Civil War, the Irish went over for both sides. There was Irish going over to fight against fascism. And sadly, there was a few 
with the support of the church that went over to support Franco and the fascists back at that time in the Interesting. In the 30s in Ireland, yeah, Ireland in Spain. But so you landed in Barcelona with both feet and, or on both feet, and pretty soon, I mean, I like, I ran into you a couple times while you were there, because I was still working from Dublin, mm -hmm. but um, you were already kind of in, in, embedded in the local community and, and some of the projects that were going on there. Yeah, yeah, well, it was... It was. Uh, I didn't. It didn't specifically uh, like go directly to Barcelona. The, one of the ideas was coming from Ireland and the very edge of Europe and this kind of somewhat disconnected place, more the wilder kind of edge of Europe. So the idea was to actually try to go around the middle of the world, around the Mediterranean, and to learn a little bit about the history of the world and at a deeper kind of level. So maybe partly a kind of tourist attitude, but a very very slow tourism, like you know, to stay in a place seven years and really connect with the place and understand the deeper story of what happened and all the complexity of that and to connect in with the local um, goings on at the time when I arrived in 2006. It was a very interesting time in the city. Um, and it's, it's such a, I still think it's one of the most interesting cities in the world for a variety of reasons, but especially because of its, its deep sense of this, uh, the attitude of just, I suppose being self-reliant and, and, you know, coming from its, its history in the 1930s when it did go through a kind of a, you know, a, a self-organized revolution of sorts in 36, 37. I think, I think the, the remnants of that are still very much embedded in, in, in people and their attitudes, whether they fully agree with the, the politics behind it or not. I think it kind of still exists in the idea that people come together, people organize community, uh, uh, interconnect, inter interconnectivity is very strong. People meet in the streets, they discuss things in the streets, uh, and they try to, to bring about change. And I think the years after, like especially 2011, when there was the, the occupations of the squares was a major moment. And then when I left in 13, uh, you know, it was still kind of, people were suffering from the crisis. But now I'm inspired what happened since fi 15 to 19 with the, with the Barcelona and Comune and the the seven other cities of Spain, those rebel cities, the fact that local citizens are, you know, taking a form of control and they're trying to, to deal with the situations at a more local level and bring about change. And then from there, you, you went to um, South America. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, my wife's from Peru, in, in, uh, but she studied up in the north of Brazil in Belém. Uh, and like, you know, everybody living in Spain and Ireland as well, and much of Europe, after the economic crisis, people were hit hard. Like I myself, I, I was actually collaborating with William McDonough on a project in, in Spain. I was working with, a, as you know, like a, a small little ecological consultancy firm there. But when the crisis hit, you know, a lot of the architects, we lost our jobs. And so it was just, you know, trying to survive. And you know, I was tour guiding and I was teaching English and I was doing a number of other jobs just to kind of get by, you know, and very much out of my area. So part of the reason was going to Latin America was to try to get back into work. And um, Brazil was always uh, an appealing place. I wanted to learn about what was going on in uh, Latin America as well. Uh, and part of the ideas of going to Curitiba was, yeah, it, it had this name as being this green city and, you know, things that had gone good there in the past. So it was, it was wanting to learn what went on and more importantly, how it was dealing with change. Was it able to carry on with the changes? Uh, and very much from, from my side, was, you know, like there's other good examples in, you know, Copenhagen or many of uh, European, North European cities, but how was this Latin America city able to make change and how to deal with the social, the massive inequalities that exist back in the day in the 70s in, in Brazil and up to the 90s and up to the, the 2000s, 2010s. So, so that was it to really understand how it dealt with the social. And so how did you find that? I mean, you'd like... Was, yeah. a hard, was a hard entering in there as an outsider? Uh, it was hard enough. Curitiba itself is, um, um, and they'll say it themselves, like it's a difficult city to connect into. It's probably one of the most European cities. Uh, it's the capital of Paraná State down in the south of, of, of Brazil. The south is seen as being more European and a bit colder and less Brazilian. Um, so when we connected in, uh, it was difficult enough, yeah. It was hard to kind of connect in. Um, you know, you're trying to find work, you're trying to get settled, you're just trying to survive. You're, um, but yeah, it, it was difficult. And I think that's one of the factors of that uh, I think is important for all communities trying to bring about uh, regenerative changes is how they accommodate newcomers and 
and the, the, how, how, how hospitality functions as, as a tool to bring in about change. But anyway, you know, we're, it wasn't the first time. So we battled on, we made our connections, we slowly started developing projects, connecting with projects that were there. So it was, a, it was an interesting experience. Um, yeah. Like I know that some of the projects that, that you talked about while you were there involved setting up uh, and organizing around community garden space. As an example, was that one of the, the kind of more evident or successful or, or engaged uh, element there in, in terms of bringing people together? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was an interesting time that I arrived there. So it was like from 14 to 18 were the, were the years I was there. And it was, I suppose, things, so much change has happened in America and especially Brazil with the political change. And when we were there, we, we felt that. But before, the earlier side of that, I think one of the things to point out is that, yeah, Curitiba has a good name for being this, you know, this green city. Um, Jamie Lerner did fantastic work in the 70s and, and was really a visionary in, in what they were doing. But you have to remember that the work and the changes that they brought about was done very much in a top-down uh, uh, fashion. It was still within the, the political dictatorship at the time. And um, so within, you know, I'm not having a go with Jamie Lerner. It's just that he did what he, he could do within a very specific time and place, very top-down. There was very little room for kind of bottom-up initiatives and community engagement. By the time I arrived, I think that was starting to change. And I think I was very lucky to be there at a time when there was a wave of change starting to happen, coming from kind of direct action communities, especially with a friend, Gora, uh, who's now, he was a, a local councillor subsequently, and he's now a, 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 a one of the, the deputies of the state of Paraná. Um, but him and the, the other groups that were active were on the streets, they were painting bike lanes because there was no bike lanes at the time. They were squatting land, they were planting trees, you know, the confrontational um, uh, direct action. But from that, they built a culture around it and they got more organized uh, and they really brought in a, a massive amount of change when I was there. So some of the stuff that w was happening was um, community gardens. Uh, other ones, there was a specific uh, project, Park Gum, which was, a, was actually a, a, an action against a, a development that they were going to cut through a, an old green space, but people went in and they blocked the space and they had just a, a constant presence there for two years. And that changed the whole nature of that space and opened up about how communities can participate more in the discussion about what sort of spaces they want to see in their own neighborhoods. Um, and then there was another one, the Praça Ciclista, the, the, the little bike square, which was again from these bike movements. Um, they basically, they set up a, a, an NGO, like a, a bike movement called the Ciclo Igosu. Uh, and they started pushing for better rights and better infrastructure in the city. Uh, but they used, um, a lot of different artistic communities to bring about change in a really, really diverse kind of approach. But there, there was also that engagement with the, with the, the civic council. So one of the projects in this one particularly, they, there was a, a corner on a, on a little, an old entrance into the old town that was derelict for 20 years. It was a, a no-go area. It was a lot of do, uh, drugs, prostitution. And they basically pushed at the, the council to, to try to find out what was going on and how they could just leave all these dead areas that further break up the community. So the council gave the, basically gave the design and the, the, the creation of the space to Ciclug. So they created a, a community-led process, both in design and building of the square uh, to the community. And it was a wonderful project to, to, to be part of, uh, seeing how, how these factors can, can bring about change in a really like massive, physically in a small area, but massive change in terms of bringing in a, a lot of different actors uh, on, on something together so and, and it's still starting to it's still moving on what do you what do you reckon the mechanism is there because you know you mentioned in Dublin that, that some of the really interesting work was happening in Dolphin's Barn and for for anyone who's not familiar with Dublin um, you know Dolphin's Barn would be an area that was kind of the city turned its back on it for a long, long, long time. It, it, it was one of the poorest parts of the city and, and, and massive amounts of social problems in there. And so now you're talking about you know, parts of Curitiba with that. I think about Barcelona and, and some of the area, like around the Bezos River there in Barcelona, which you know again, you would have concentrations of people who the city wasn't really, not really supporting or not really inviting in to participate in everything that Barcelona is. 
And so it seems like there's these opportunities there, right, for, for more radical transformation and more intensified, uh, you know, building of community participation. But, but what do you reckon that mechanism is? Is it because people have nothing to lose or is it because they've been pushed so hard that they finally realize that they're not going to be provided for and they're going to have to do it for themselves? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a mix of things. Um, I suppose th so many communities have have have, have lost hope. Uh, they don't feel that there's it's worth uh, trying to fight anymore, or trying to bring about change. So they just kind of turn their backs and things. And I think that leads into further further problems. Um, but I, I yeah, I think it's possible to kind of connect different communities. So you've got sort of. Uh, you know, eco-activists or climate activists, whatever, connecting with local communities, trying to find common ground, maybe trying to share strategies, trying to support and understand each other, trying to understand the worlds each other's live in or, or are coming from uh, and see if it's possible to work together. So that's what we were trying to do back in 05 in, in Ireland and, and other friends involved in other projects like up in around Cork Street, Weaver Square with some of the artistic communities. Um, they, they, were, they were looking to connect with communities and I think from the community perspective, there's, um, you know, if established communities are there with all the, the difficulties that go along, just trying to survive in many cases. Um, and then these, you know, these people from outside are coming in with their ideas if they want to get involved. There's, there's trust issues there. There's, you know, who are these people? There's language issues in terms of what sort of ways are people talking? What sort of things are they talking about? Because, you know, like an academic might come and say all stuff that means and works for him and are there academic little bubble but they go into local community and people are going like what's this dude on about so so that's an important factor uh, and then the actual processes that are put in place that if they start to show fruit of bringing about change uh, i think that that's one of the key issues so so with that um i think there's a little bit of of uh of yeah trust and kind of opening up and trying to see how how others are fitting in uh, and then there's the actual you know, the, the time issues, uh, are, are we starting to see change? Are we starting to see little steps of, of kind of moving some way down the road? And that can be, that might mean that there's, you know, an, a full on say garden developed there, but maybe that there's, that there's starting of a culture change that's bringing in different people, are starting to attract people to come into the discussion about maybe creating that garden further down the line. So that's where you think of the, the kind of joining up the dots can start to lay the groundwork for actual upscaling. Yeah, yeah. Right? <clears throat> because there's one, one thing I'm always conscious of is like, you know, these little somewhat isolated, almost random appearing efforts. Um, you know, they have a danger of just being stifled by the context, you know, that surrounds them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to the extent that, well, that for, I mean, there's also a lot of inspiration that happens too, you know, when you start looking at what else is being done in other, in other communities or other neighborhoods, that can be really inspiring for a community or a neighborhood which hasn't fully kind of pulled itself together and started something yet to be able to say, oh, well, like, let's, let's have a look at them or let's go have a talk with them and, and see what it is that, that made it work for them. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Because, and like, for example, at the moment, there are things that we're exploring and looking at and trying to, trying to work around here in, here in Lisbon in the, in the wider metropolitan area of Lisbon. Because, um, yeah, like that, it, it, there's, there's, there's many interesting projects that are, there's some great things going on in some places, others, maybe there's some difficulties or maybe that they've tried different strategies are interesting, but haven't actually seen results yet. But what I find a lot of time is there's, there's huge uh, dislocation. And so the kind of the nodes exist, but maybe the interconnectivity between the nodes doesn't exist. So I think that one of the keys is the weaving together between all these different groups and trying to facilitate uh, moments of interconnectivity. So for example, here, very specifically here in, in Lisbon, uh, there's a, a project in, in Campolid, the, the Bella Flor Respira project, and it's an agroecology project in a, what was a pretty disadvantaged community. But even though on the say the, on the on the ecological side the project is brilliant, there's there's lots of trees put in. There's really gar great gardening work going in. There's a, a community that are there working on it. It's seen as being people from outside, um, the local people taken up, and they kind of go, oh, that's their project. So that's that's one. On the other side, there's Marvila, 
which is further up the river and it's an area going through a lot of gentrification processes at the moment. Uh, and they've, they've been developing a totally bottom-up project uh, and they've, they've actually won a, a project to start building, to transform um, their area and to put in bike lanes, gardens uh, in their community. And it, it was assisted by local groups working in the area and now it's got the actual support and it's got the kind of the backing from the local municipality. So trying to put these two communities together, one to see actually the ecological work done in the other community, but hopefully then that the other can start to see the actual processes, the, the community process that exists in the other to actually see how are people organizing, like what, what spaces are they using, what, what processes are they using to actually organize together to actually make decisions um, and try to move forward. So that's I think just a practical example of where both I think can learn from each other. We're going to take a break now, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise. We're talking today with the Irish architect, Duncan Crowley, uh, having a fantastic conversation here following his peregrinations from Ireland through Barcelona over to Latin America, back to Portugal, as he works on regenerative community organizing. And we look at the interface between urban development and rethinking how we how we do all that, um, as well as engage communities project by project and move towards a whole new way of being. So what are some examples of, of uh, like in practice, you know, uh, of how those links are being made? Are, are there like presentations or workshops or work groups that come together? How does that, how does that actually look? Um, well, like, uh, between so the two communities is what, I, what I'm thinking of. There's, there's not so much interconnectivity at the moment. There might okay. be some individuals who might be involved or somewhat involved. Um, but as far as I know, there, there isn't those direct links yet. So just to point out, like I'm here just and a half now um, and I'm, so I'm still slowly connecting into things. In some ways I'm connected into things, but I'm still kind of, uh, kind of I trying to identify the different spaces and groups and projects in the community. So I'm kind of acting as this kind of, interconnector of sorts, but through, through, through the work I'm doing here with a, the Urbana project, one of the things I'm working on, and also the Eco City project, which I've developed and that's coming from work done in previous uh, areas. Uh, some of the things I'm trying to develop with these projects is this kind of uh, connecting together to actually, you know, organize tours and invite these com different communities to visit each other's places and then to actually talk together about what's, what's been tried, what's been tested. So with both those projects you mentioned, Urbana and, and, and the other one, um, be using some of the same methodologies or is one, like which one should we talk about next? Well, the, the, the EcoCity project is an informal thing. It's, it's, I'm doing a PhD in this sort of stuff, so I'm trying to use it as a, as a bridge between the academic theor theoretical work and the real world uh, work. So for example, we've done four different tours in different communities in the city. Um, uh, and that's connecting with local groups. So, so for the last one was the European Day of Sustainable Communities, connecting with the student, the student uh, strikers, the, the Grevy Estudantil aqui. Um, but then also the previous one was with the degrowth community. But that's still something that's kind of, uh, it's not fixed. It doesn't have a, an official kind of uh, backing behind it. But they're trying to try to tie it in through methodology into what we're doing with Urbana. So, uh, Urbana is a European project and um, uh, it's slowly getting, uh, starting to take off now, I suppose. But what we're doing here is we, we're setting up a, a two-year process with local groups. So we're, we've identified Mooria, uh, the neighbourhood in the, in the city centre under the castle is the first area. And we're going to have a discussion on the 12th of November 
but now at the moment we're we're actually connecting with housing groups here because it's a, a community that's going through a lot of gentrification as well um, so we're connecting with groups and trying to organize a tour of the community together um, and so the urbana would really be the the main one because it's it's um I suppose it's more official and and it's it, and it's established and so these are things yeah. that we're trying to bring into it and it's got a bit of backing because it's a european project yeah exactly exactly but uh you you'd mentioned earlier about uh, kind of like how the um ap- academic connection uh, is is able to reinforce some of these more community kind of on the ground type actions and and activities yeah yeah well that's the like the I think I've, I've been very lucky to, to end up where I am because I'm actually, so I'm, I'm doing a PhD in one university in Ishte in architecture and, and contemporary territory, contemporary metropolitan territories. So very much about the social and what's going on. Uh, but that's in one university. But then the work I'm doing with Urbana is in the other university. It's in the University of Science connected with the ecology department because my, uh, my colleague, uh, Gilles Peña Lopez, He's one of the co-founders of Ecoleaves, the, the European network for um, community-led initiatives on climate change and sustainability. And I think that's a really interesting network because uh, Gilles and the, the communities around him, like Tom Hempies as well, they're bringing in together uh, the academic side with the local activists. So like the Transition Towns, the Global Eco Village Network, Degrowth, and a range of other kind of more citizen or activist uh, communities or projects but the important thing with that is i think it's twofold one is that uh, like especially with Gilles and the, the science side they're bringing in the really hardcore cutting edge state-of-the-art scientific side about what is the ecological situation what's the climate the science behind all this in terms of in terms of identifying the problem but then they're actually testing in terms of solutions so like where we are like the up in the the in campo grande They've set up a garden 10 years ago, a community garden and permaculture uh, principles. But now they've started taking the food waste from the university. They're like a lot of people in their PhDs and masters are doing like, you know, hardcore analysis about the rates of change, the nutrient levels, et cetera, like the, the hard end science. So that's a, that's a very important side in terms of feeding into the, the, the discussion. So we're informed about what really is the science behind all of this. The other side then, which is where I'm trying to work, um, I suppose, is the assessing at the kind of, be it the social side about what's going on, what's being tried, what's working, what's not working, and trying to look at means about identifying where the barriers are and trying to test or trying to experiment or bring about ways to actually, we can bring about change in that. So that's, uh, that's very much from the, the, the academic side. So I'd see it as very much a, a supporting uh, role in the, the front end, which is the communities themselves bringing about change or trying to bring about change. I think I like, I like that, you know, I like the fact that, that academia, which has for, you know, seems like most of history, right, has held itself somehow, you know, kind of above and aside from everyday activity and, every, and everyday people even. It's kind of yeah, created its yeah. bubble and then, and then like savagely protected the boundaries of that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I I really like to to see that becoming a permeable membrane. Yeah, well, that's that's like the, like when I I did my masters in in Brazil and I specifically went down the road of the participative participative action research. So very much influenced by Murray Bookchin and social ecology and the whole world around them, like the you know the municipalist projects he was talking about and about the the politics of of being um of being involved in your local communities. Uh, and thankfully arriving here that there's it's still not it's still not a, a mainstream thing I don't think but luckily with the, the groups that I'm connecting with that there is very much an attempt to to engage in the participative action research uh, and now with groups like Ecolees and this Urbana project I think they're pushing at the academic world or maybe maybe it's not pushing maybe it's pulling pulling the academic world toward something where there's a more richness of of actual of actual content and about ideas, uh, because like exactly as you said, for so long academia was closed off, was communities in their little bubbles talking about stuff, but in no way engaged or participating in those in those things that they supposedly were interested in. So, yeah, yeah, and I, and I just think like again, I think I think a lot kind of in terms of 
like the average Joe, right? Um, not to say that our listeners are probably the average Joe. Um, obviously, I have to have an interest to tune into it, but but there is still this sense, you know, a very real sense that academia, you know, is holding itself separate. That it doesn't really apply to people's real lives and 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 real needs and 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 um, you know, real world issues. And I, as you say, pulling, I think that's a very very interesting. Um, dynamic to consider because if you think about folks who are doing research and inevitably impacted by the implications of what they're looking at exactly yeah, yeah. right to for for so long to have been really held by uh you know by policy within their institutions that they had to re to remain separate yeah and being able to pull them in to invite them in to share what they're doing in a way which is immediately meaningful. Um, I mean, I think that's enriching, as you say, it's really enriching for the research people. But I also, I like it because it's bringing the resources back to the community, which in many ways has actually provided the funding in the first place. Exactly, exactly. That, that, I couldn't agree more. Like, the, like for example, the, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm in academia a little bit now, but I still don't fully understand it all. I don't understand all these dynamics and there's so much more to it. I still consider myself more of an activist, you know, like 20 years being involved in, in, in eco-activism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in saying all that, like, especially with this Urbana project and, and some of the other projects that I've been assessing, because I've had to assess like 500 projects now in the last few weeks and really get stuck into what's being tried and what's going on. And some are still pretty closed or they are disconnected. But I think there is a shift and they are trying to, to, to connect more. But I think what, in terms of like, for example, where we're going with Urbana, which is about just and sustainable cities, like talking to people like the, like the housing collectives here in Lisbon who are like working with people who are getting, you know, kicked out of their houses and facing evictions or being thrown in the street. You know, what I'm saying to them is, and I, I believe this, is that I think we're through this academic process, it's kind of allowed for a little doorway to, to bring in these communities and activists and to really deepen this discussion that the end point is, is offering further resources or tools to these communities that they can use. So that for me is what, that's my objective with all this. It's to identify what can be helpful to these communities. And that can be a range of things, you know, even just the community in Lisbon to Dublin to Curitiba, exchanging or helping facilitate sharing of ideas that could be helpful. Or it could be more practical things about what resources, what, what's being tried here, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I, think, I think, yeah, that, that's what academia can do. It can offer tools and, and assistance to bring about change because in front of climate breakdown and where we are with like climate emergency, you know, we really need to up our game. So I, I hope that this is the start of a, of a massive shift. And I believe it is. I'm, I'm hopeful in that. Well, let's, let's, go, let's go into that a little further uh, right now. Because um, when, when, when we first started talking, um, you mentioned something, uh, actually before we hit the record button, uh, you'd mentioned something about the Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think is, is so important, but also gives me hope about the organizing which is happening, happening around Extinction Rebellion as, as a for instance, but also, um, you know, the uh, Fridays for Future and, and a number of these climate related and, and extinction, you know, threat related movements um, is that they're very consciously bringing together the social and the ecological. They're not saying this is just about uh, endangered species, for instance, you know, they're, they're, they're saying that unless we take on equity, unless we take on fairness, unless we take on just redistribution, uh, all of these social issues that you could say either conflict with ecological um, necessities or just exist in a separate sphere, they're very clearly articulating that they are one and the same. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's, let's go there for a few minutes and explore that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm equally, um, equally optimistic and I feel very hopeful at the moment seeing this as, as a spark. Like, you know, after years of kind of frustration and trying this and trying that, suddenly something else has come about and it really has sparked. And it's the speed at which it's taken off has been incredible. So I think, <clears throat> I think first of all, important to point out was that like you know part of the the, the roots it was coming from was a, 
a criticism of mo of movements up to now and trying to you know i've looked into a little bit about it like yeah your man uh Hassam, is it or roger Hassam or Haslop or the english guy there who's a anyway but i think some of the stuff he's been going on about um was was really spot on because he was he was not confined to the activist ghetto or the business ghetto or these others he was looking around and seeing what worked from from these different worlds trying to put them together and trying to string something together that was new and could be effective and i think he and the rest of the groups around the the, the early extinction rebellion group in 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 london uh, they've done that so hats off to them how it's taken off and what it's done i think is is being really commendable and really uh exciting and the fact yeah that on a kind of similar trajectory with greta and the school kids it's amazing to see, like here in Lisbon, people are buzzed up and it's the school kids that are leading all this. And it's this new, uh, partly this anger, this fear of what's going on, which is dealing with the realities of climate breakdown. But then also this, this, just this attitude of, look, we just need radical change. And the fact that like school kids of 14, 15, 16 are like, able to sit down and have a strong critique of the organized economic system about how capitalism fits into this about as you said about the need for equity about making links with latin america with indigenous communities about trying to understand how it means what's going on in the city of lisbon where people are being displaced kicked out of their houses joining up the dots like this is it's amazing it's amazing to see and i and i i firmly believe it's just we're still just at the early days this is growing and growing and growing and it needs to grow further you know, it's interesting about that, because I often I often think about or the fact that we seem to be, you know, as a species, right, as a species and a culture or, or a dominant, predominant culture. Um, we seem to be passing through this evolutionary bottleneck. Right. And it's kind of the kind of situation is like, well, if we get through to the other side, we will have changed and we will survive. Mm -hmm. But it's not a given. You know, no, it's not, no, by no. no means a guarantee at this point. But looking at this change in focus and this change in ability um, among teenagers, you know, and mm -hmm. preteens even, who are really getting engaged and as you say, you know, taking on these really, really thorny issues and starting to understand them and articulate them, maybe that's what it looks like inside the bottleneck. You know, maybe that's a bit of the chemistry that goes on Mm -hmm. And we're getting a look into it or we're getting a feel for it as, as you know, we find our own ways to participate in, from whatever generation we might be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this, I suppose there's, a, there's a, few, a few bits to it. One is the, like the, this, this coming together of these movements. Um, also, like, the, the, there's bravery there. There's, there's, you know, people are dealing with pretty full on issues, you know, people for the first time taking a step, going out onto the streets, like here in Lisbon uh, two, two weeks ago, was the first time where there was an organized direct action to shut down a main artery in the city in Angels. About 500 people uh, took the space, they held it for three hours, people are eventually lifted off by the riot police. So, you know, compared to other countries, that's only a small thing, but for here, it's big, because this is a first. And these are people, you know, for the most part, kids in, in secondary school who had never done something like that. There was fear there. There was the, the worry about arrest. There was the worry about police violence. Um, you know, so, so that's there. The other side then, the discussions that are happening, like it's, it's incredible. And it, like, I can't even catch, keep up with what, all what's going on. There's so many different areas and spaces and communities and groups being activated and the interconnectivity between that. So for example, here, for the week of the of the what the twenty to twenty seventh, they had I think forty or forty plus cinema nights in different spaces with different communities, all around the city and beyond outside the in like in the periphery of the city as well, which is great. You know that's part of the stitching up this wider ecosystem of this of this body of change. But with that then is the diversity of these discussions they're having about all these issues. Uh, and like for me, what's really inspiring is. You know that the the vast majority were on the streets, and they're like the vast group are calling for system change, not climate change, and and they're going like capitalism is the problem. So, from going from identification of the problem and in this bottleneck, I agree that that that's where we're in. I think part of the 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 I think the area that we need to work on is well, what are the solutions? 
and I think that with uh, with Extinction Rebellion and the, the group uh, very much linked to it here is King Maximo. They've been doing great work on that. It's, it, they've really been, you know, organizing the science, the, the climate breakdown side of it, but about taking the fossil fuels out of, out of the, the modern economy and identifying who are the players behind that. The dirty tricks they've been up to for years, like you see The Guardian today, they have a massive front page about these major companies who have known for years about um, climate change, the impacts of, of, their, of their business model. It was um, like, what, 30 or 33 con con companies they identified in that article, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's, but like in terms of addressing about what needs to be done, taking the oil and the fossil fuels out, building up um, you know, a more ecological society. I think here they've, they've, they're starting to identify, you know, what is the change we need to get to in a possibly maybe still in an abstract sense. So I think one of the areas that I think we need to work on more or maybe how we can kind of connect these different communities or, or actors together is one, identifying the problems, but then more looking at what the solutions are. So trying to, for example, connect in with around the periphery of the city. We've got some really nice little villages and projects, uh, local, local kind of farming or agriculture exchange, local uh, communities of, 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 of practice around. So trying to actually just further talk together. So about, you know, if we're trying to scale up those sort of processes from the village outside the city, what does that mean? How do we do that? Because in a city, it's a far more complex thing. And that's where the vast majority of us are based uh, and very much trying to just get on with our day to day. So, so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But the start is identifying that change is needed. That's been done. Second of all, bringing about a culture of change that's happening. And I think it's, it's continuing to grow. But then the work is, well, identifying those solutions and then and, and, and making the change, facilitating those little steps so people in whatever communities they are around the world or whatever, that they can start connecting in uh, and becoming part of the solution. What's lovely about that too is, is that it, there literally is something for everybody. Exactly, exactly. Right? Whatever, whatever your passion, whatever your talent, whatever your location may predispose you to, there's a need to get in there and, and fix it and you know bring it up to speed in terms of real priorities and connect it yeah totally agree and i think that's uh, this is one of the more kind of difficult things to put into words or maybe one of the more abstract things I, i've been trying to look at in, in over the last few years and in, in participating in these different projects and communities in different countries is the kind of magic that happens when you're when you start to connect with a group or a project uh and that that there's different dynamics to that. So how a community is organized, and that's why I think in Barcelona, for example, coming from its, you know, its, its, its anarchist-inspired uh, history from the 30s, the fact that a lot of those communities are very horizontal, very open, very, you know, you plug in, you, you give, you, you give what you can, and that, and that the space and the project is fluid enough to be able to deal with these new, new, sorry, there's somebody beeping there. Uh, these new kind of impacts and to bring about change because I think that's one of the problems that 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 one of the reasons we haven't been as successful as we could have been in the last 30 40 years I think something that Michael Albert identified when he was talking about the the glue you know making movement sticky about what how is that people come into things and then they leave because if it's very hierarchical and closed and ordered you know you come in but you've just go through so many layers to go up the ladder or whatever, to be even in a position to, to, to try to have some impact where it's not worth it, you know, you're just wasting your own time. And I've seen, and I've been involved in some of those groups. So I think the key is how projects, can they be open enough so that when anybody comes in, a stranger who's never been an activist, never been involved, doesn't know much about political issues, whatever, if they, if they feel attracted to something and they want to get involved, that the projects and the people involved in the projects they need to be able to be open enough to allow for all these inputs uh, so that's that's something i've experienced where like having been the outsider not being able to connect in in different communities uh, that i'm very um conscious of so the projects i work with here tend to be the ones that have this element to to them you want to be in there and 
having the best experiences, meeting amazing people, and you know, whatever it is, if you're into cooking, it's cooking. If you're into storytelling, if you're into giving your time, if you're into sewing, if you're into gardening, whatever, we've all got different interests. But if you've got, if you come in with your interests that you find a space that you want to be involved in and that you have a beautiful time doing all that, because it, that, that, that for me is it. It's, it's being involved in these projects because you're driven by pure passion by the project and the people that you're sharing that space or that moment with. I think that, that's an excellent point to end. Uh, unless you've got a, 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 you know, a final few words that you, you want to leave. Um, no, I just, I'm thankful to, to reconnect. I'm looking forward to meeting them again in the real world. Um, but, yeah. we, but we've got these tools, these technical tools, these phones, these now Zoom uh, technology tools. I still believe we should be pushing them that we're not using them enough as we could be. And I believe that if we start to really push this, we can open up uh, things so much more. Uh, at the moment, the Eco City Forum is on in, um, in Vancouver in Canada. And we tried to get that a little bit more opened up two years ago in Curitiba. We tried to open up that. Uh, hopefully in two years time that we might be able to push that. And I think with the Urbana project, that's something that we've tried to bring into it, that how we use the, the tech online and the real world together in a, in, in a, in a, in a participative level, that that's how we start pushing that. So for me, the, the image I go with, which is what I shared to my friends the other day, was an image of 2011 in the square in Curitiba, or in, in, in Barcelona, during the, the, the Indignados, the Spanish Revolution. It was, I don't know, maybe 20, 30,000 people in the square, in Syntagma Square, Syntagma Square in Athens, there was a couple of thousand people there. But we were connected screen to screen. So it was like peer to prayer, but screen to screen. Talking together about, hey, what's going on in your community? What's going on? What are you facing? What are you trying to bring about? What's happening, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, that's, if, if there's one thing that I'd try to encourage your listeners and, and other people to, 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 to go on is to try to learn how to use these tools and to share these tools with our communities to further make the impact that we radically need uh, to do as soon as possible. Uh, so beyond that, really nice to reconnect, Eric. Looking forward to meeting you soon. So big hugs from Lisbon and thank you very much. And I wish you and all of your listeners and all these communities the best because someone's juntos, no? We're together. Same yeah, place, same absolutely. Place. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of designing paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.